Welcome to Inflection Point 5. We've been moving through the first couple hundred years, starting late in the book of Acts. The first event we looked at was the fire that destroyed Rome in 64 AD. The second was the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Most recently, we've looked at both Polycarp, uh, excuse me, a Justin Martyr, who was an apologist in the early church, and then at Polycarp, who was a bishop. Uh, both were writers, both also lost their life. Uh, our focus today is on the Anti-Nicene Fathers. Uh, Anti-Nicaea means before the Council of Nicaea. So the period of the Church Fathers begins around the time of the death of John, the Apostle, around 100 AD, and it goes till roughly uh, the start of the Middle Ages. Um, it's divided by the Council of Nicaea, which was called by the Emperor Constantine, who we're going to look at in a couple weeks. Uh, it's called the Council of Nicaea because it was held in Nicaea, which was where the summer home was for Constantine. He was still building Constantinople, now modern-day Istanbul. So after Constantine becomes the emperor of Rome, he does a lot of very significant things in terms of the church. Um, he appears to convert, it's a little complicated, but uh, he issues an edict of toleration which allows um, Christians to not be, which means Christians are not gonna be persecuted. He calls this big council where, where the church leaders are able to gather together for the first time, right, since the formation of the church and they work out a number of things. It's a very important event. And during his reign as emperor, the number of people who report that they are Christians grows from 10% to 90%, which sounds better than it is. It's a little complicated. All of this to, all of this to say, the, the Council of Nicaea is a big dividing point in the 500 years between the apostolic period, the early church period, and the Middle Ages. And so we divide these, these church writers and leaders and events in the anti-Nicene, the before Nicaea, the Council of Nicaea, and the post-Nicene. So um, you should know, today we're going to look at four movements and four people. You should know that this period, it was a bit rough. Many think that the closer we get to the early church, the more pristine and, and utopian things were. Um, Look, you only have that view if you haven't read the book of Acts, and if you're not reading the letters that Paul wrote. Uh, I don't want you to be too scandalized here. There were good things in the early church, but basically, I mean, you're reading the second half of Acts, you see that Paul blows into town, um, goes into the synagogue, uh, preaches until he gets thrown out, goes to the town square, uh, starts to speak and, and, and share the gospel until he gets thrown in jail or a riot starts. Uh, and then he's, he leads the jailer to faith. He leads other prisoners to faith. When he gets out of jail because he's a Roman citizen, he disciples people for about a month, uh, puts these new Christians in charge of the church and goes to the next town to do it again. Um, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not much. And so you've got a lot of very young believers that are in charge of the church, and there's some significant mistakes that get made. And so much of Paul's letter writing is, is written to correct these mistakes. And so the early church has got a lot of problems in it. But we study these early post-apostolic uh, 
letters and, and thinkers because they're close to the events of the early church, which means they're close to the apostles. They're, they understand the culture, they understand the customs, and they, they can tell us a lot of things that we didn't otherwise know. They tell us that John is the one who wrote uh, the fourth gospel. They, uh, they tell us which books are being used because the, the New Testament hasn't been formalized before Nicaea. So they tell us which books, which letters are in circulation and being profitable to the early church. We learn from the Antinacene fathers how, how Peter and Paul died. Um, so additionally, it just noted, there, there are letters about the church and people are still people. And so you've got a lot of the same social issues like um, abortion and racism and materialism and alcohol and suicide. And you've got a lot of the same doctrinal issues like understanding the Trinity and the, the deity of Christ and the problem of evil and spiritual gifts and church discipline. So there's lots of reasons that we study this, uh, this period, the anti-Nicene anti church fathers. So for our purposes, I, I want to briefly mention, because we we're moving so quickly, but I want to briefly mention four movements and four People. The four movements are, are movements that rose up against the Orthodox Church. Uh, all of them claim to be a purer form of following Christ. The first and the biggest was Gnosticism. So the term Gnostics comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge, uh, and it refers to a collection of movements, um, groups like Docetism and, and others that cause problems very early on. John, while he's still alive, will write his letter to the, his first epistle will be largely to try and put down the Docetists. So these groups hold that the physical world is bad, the spiritual world is good, uh, that, that you're saved by having access to secret knowledge or by various ascetic practices. But there's a, there's a way to rise above normal Christianity. Uh, the Gnostic groups deny history. They deny the incarnation. They, they have a lot of Greek thought, a lot of Platonic influence in them. Uh, and by the way, Gnosticism keeps popping up. The New Age movement, spirituality, these are sort of Gnostic kinds of things. So you've got Gnostic scholars that keep coming up. Uh, there's, there's back in the 50s and 60s, there was this movement to suggest that the Gospels were just, that the four Gospels we follow, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were just uh, later derivations of Gnostic Gospels. Now, archaeology uh, has largely undone this, although Bart Ehrman continues to try and make the point that this is what's happened. So you're going to see these movements that are in the early church, you see variations in forms of them uh, alive today. Uh, the second uh, heresy to mention is Marcionism, and this is a heresy that describes, um, I should say, this is a heresy, so let me just say, you have other religions that make no claim to be Christian. Then you have uh, heresies that make claims to be improvements on Christianity. Uh, and then you have sects, S-E-C-T-S, careful with that word, you have sects that uh, are within the bounds of the Christian faith, but are making some mistakes. And then you have denominations in which uh, Christians say, we disagree on secondary points. I think I'm right, you think you're right. Who knows? Uh, we're gonna treat each other well and say, yes, they're probably closer to God than I am. Um, that's, that's the way this breaks down. 
religions, heresies, sects, denominations. So um, Marcionism is a heresy. It's outside the boundaries of Orthodox, Christian, apostolic, Apostles' Creed kind of faith. Uh, it was started by a guy, uh, not surprisingly, named Marcion. He was the son of a bishop. Uh, he was very wealthy. And he actually tried to steer the church towards his view, which said that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament were not the same gods. And uh, he didn't like the God of the Old Testament. So he threw out the Old Testament and he threw out all the, the letters that would later be in the New Testament. Again, the canon is not officially closed yet, but uh, the, the books were basically recognized. He threw out most of the New Testament that reminded him of the Old Testament. And uh, he basically only liked Paul. And he tried to influence the church this way. He started a church, but it didn't, it didn't go anywhere. By the way, Marcion, like the other two groups I'll mention, were very much into asceticism. Most of these groups, most of these aberrant groups are into asceticism. So uh, ascesis is the Greek word for discipline or um, exercise. So just think uh, bland food. Um, Marcion said that you couldn't have wine, even in communion, you needed to have water. Uh, they're generally against marriage and against sex, uh, this time S-E-X. Uh, and so Marcion set up a rival church that didn't go anywhere. Third movement is called Montanism, started by, um, you guessed it, Montanus and uh, two women, uh, Priscilla and Maximilla. And this was a, this is a sect. So considered to be Christian, but uh, they are sort of an extreme Pentecostal group. And, the, and, and Montanus may go so far as to claim at some point that he is, he's so channeling the Holy Spirit that he is the Holy Spirit. That would be a problem. But um, basically there's this new, prophecy, new information, and very ascetic, uh, the, these groups. And so they uh, tended to much of what the new prophecy was, was go out and get yourself martyred. Uh, do not die in bed was one of the things that, uh, that they tended to hold on to. Um, so the, this group, um, by the way, the Montanists, sort of uh, surface today as we try to figure out authority. Like, what do we believe? How do we, how do we um, uh, adjudicate between what we see in Scripture and what we have as personal experiences, especially if we believe God is speaking to us? So obviously, as Christians, we have views about that, but you can see how these are surfacing here. Uh, the last group that I'll mention are the Novatians. Uh, as we move into the third century, persecution is going to get really bad again. I said that the persecution of the first 300 years is hot and cold. Well, it's going to be really hot. So an emperor by the name of Diocletian uh, really goes after Christians. For a long time in the Roman Empire, it's sort of uh, a don't ask, don't tell policy. Don't, don't advertise that you're a Christian. Don't go out of your way to flaunt it and we'll leave you alone. But Diocletian goes after people. And he sets up tests that, that cause that in which you have to expose yourself if you're a Christ follower. You're not going to sacrifice to Caesar, or you're you're uh, you're you're not going to deny Christ, which is what he's calling people to do. So uh, the Novatians also a sect. Uh, they uh, are very ascetic, and they are noted um, for a very hard line against those who deny Christ. 
So the problem becomes, especially after Constantine, after the Edict of Toleration is, is out there, what do you do with people who denied Christ and now want back in? Or what do you do with people who denied Christ and turned others in as Christians and they're killed for their faith? And now these people come back and they want into the church. Sometimes they want to be leaders in the church. So this was a, this was a crisis point and the Novations are among the hard lines saying, no, you cannot get back in. Obviously, um, denying Christ is a very serious offense. But at the same time, God's grace is greater than our sin. So um, ever so briefly, let me just say that in order to know anything about this period, you also need to know four other names. I've mentioned Justin uh, and Polycarp, two martyrs. Irenaeus, the bishop of, of uh, Lyons, is very important. I mentioned him last week. He's discipled by Polycarp, who had been discipled by John. He writes some things against the Gnostics. Uh, Tertullian, uh, the father of Latin theology, uh, who will become a Montanist at the end of his life, but he's brilliant uh, in his writings, and he's so quotable. He's the one that said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So mow us down, he says, kill us. The more you kill us, the more we're going to spread. Um, then you've got Origen, who is perhaps the most famous theologian of this era. Uh, he's a little problematic in that he asks questions first, and he sometimes goes down the wrong trail. Uh, he gets a pass from most everybody coming after him because they say he doesn't deny things. He's trying to figure things out, and he writes trying to figure them out, and sometimes his answers are not what we would say orthodox today, but he's a very important thinker. And the last one I'll mention is Clement of Rome, uh, not to be confused with Clement of Alexandria. Uh, this Clement was a, was a first century bishop, perhaps the Clement mentioned by Paul in Philippians chapter four, where he mentions a Clement. He sees himself as a successor to Paul. He writes a letter uh, to uh, the church in Corinth, which is still having problems. Sounds a lot like Paul. He's not an apostle. The, the letter is sometimes referred to as the third letter to the Corinthians. So, uh, look, this is an important few hundred year period. Uh, we can learn a lot from those that were close to the, the apostles and who understood that culture well. So there's a lot of writings from this period that scholars study. Next week, we're going to look at the Apostles' Creed.